Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. And uh, what a praise it was this week to see some farming equipment out there, wasn't it? <laughs> that was, that's awesome. And so uh, I, I want to give a pass. If you're a farmer or farmed around the clock, you can fall asleep today. That's okay. I understand. Uh, but everyone else, you've got to be awake, especially the people up above. So, <laughs> All right, Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Uh, just by way of reminder, Paul is writing to a church. Uh, if you look on screen, there is a map real quick. It's at the very top. Galatia, that yellowish region, is where he has been writing to because false teachers have come in and added to the gospel, thus taking away from the gospel. And really, it's no gospel, Paul says. And last week, we saw that the action took place in the bottom right-hand corner in Jerusalem. Uh, This week, we're going to see the action takes place north in Syria, that green region in the city of Antioch. That's what's going to happen today in our text, beginning at verse 11. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, if you're able to. I'm going to read this, a very, very famous passage. So it says in verse 11, When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, which we just saw, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Can you imagine that? (laughs) For before certain men came from James, that's James in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible encounter where Paul had the guts to confront the apostle Peter, Lord, I can't imagine, over a gospel issue. Lord, I pray too that you would give us that kind of wisdom to know when to do that as well. And Lord, I pray that as we get ready to talk about justification by faith, Lord, I pray that whether we've heard that term for hundreds of times or this is the first time, that it would sink a little bit deeper, Father. Father, may your Holy Spirit do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the things I've been trying to say since starting at First Missionary Church is that the gospel or the good news is not just for non-believers entering the kingdom of heaven, but it's also for believers. You know, we need it to become a Christian, but we also need the gospel to grow as a Christian. 
It's not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. If you look at verse 14, it says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So really, Peter's failure to incorporate the Gentiles, and we'll talk more about that next week, was a gospel-related issue. He was failing to believe and apply and incorporate the gospel. And that's why he was doing what he was doing. I mean, really, any sin that we struggle with is a failure to believe and incorporate the gospel. I'm not going to focus so much on verses 11 to 14 today. We're going to look at that next week. You know, as I wrote my sermon, I realized I have way too much material just for one point. So we're going to do my sermon today, today, and also we're going to continue it next week. So we're going to look at two images of the gospel in our text, two images. And then we'll start to look at this week and next week, three ways that this applies to us. So two images and three ways this applies to us. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Yes. Balcony people, you ready? All right, got some thumbs up, I think. Yeah. Well, let's focus on verses 15 and 16, because the first image that Paul talks about is justification. Say that with me. Justification. Every time I get to the orange word justified, I want you to say this out loud with me. So this is Paul. He is confronting Peter. Boy, I can't imagine that. And he's giving a little sermon among everybody. And he says this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So how many times is that mentioned in those two verses? Three. Three, absolutely. So do you know what justification means? How many have heard that word before? It's one of those God words, justification, you know, holiness. <laughs> Let me tell you what it means. Justification, this is kind of a long definition. It's from one of my favorite theologians, John Stott. He says it like this. Justification is a legal term. It's a legal term. So if you can go to the next slide, it's a legal term from the law courts, an image from the law courts, the court of law. It is the opposite of condemnation. Do you know what condemn means? Anybody use that word this week? Probably not. <laughs> to condemn means to declare somebody guilty. So it's a legal term from the law courts, the opposite of condemnation, and to condemn means to declare someone guilty. So what does justify mean? If you're going to justify someone, that means you declare them not guilty or innocent and righteous. So if we apply this to God, which we do here, the books of Galatians and Romans talk about this all the time, justification. Here's a more technical definition of justification. It is God's act of unmerited favor, meaning we don't earn it, by which he puts a sinner right with himself. And there's two more parts, not only by pardoning or acquitting him or forgiving him, but also by accepting him and treating him as righteous. Did you catch all that? So let's close our eyes and recite that again, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Would you say this out loud with me? Justification is God's act of unmerited favor by which he puts a sinner right with himself, not only by pardoning or acquitting him, but accepting him and treating him as righteous. So if you think of that image before a holy God, the righteous judge, you and I, as sinners, are guilty. 
we are under God's condemnation. And were God to declare us condemned and guilty, he would be righteous in doing so. He would deserve to do so. In fact, that's what a good judge does, don't they? They treat people fairly. And if God was treating us fairly, we would deserve his condemnation and wrath and punishment. But thankfully, in justification, when we believe in Jesus, his perfect life is given to us, and our sin is given to him on the cross. So that when we believe in Jesus, our sin and our condemnation is transferred to Jesus right away, and his righteousness is transferred to us right away. That's a pretty amazing deal for us, isn't it? We believe in Jesus, he gets our sin, we get his righteousness. It's a wonderful thing called justification. And just like we sing about in Holy, 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 we sing a song about how justice and truth and mercy meet. Well, at the cross, we see that that God is righteous and holy because he has to pay for sin, yet he's also gracious in that he allows this to happen and he enables us to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Holiness and grace meet perfectly at the cross. And so if you and I actually believe in this, we will resonate with what verse 20 says on screen. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we said the first image is justification. The second image that we see here that goes with it is union with Christ. Say that with me. Union with Christ. So if somebody asks you, what did Pastor Rick talk about today besides the balcony people? We talked about justification and union with Christ, okay? And that's what Paul's talking about here, that, that when he believes in Jesus, it's like Christ's death was his death. When Jesus died on the cross, my old self died too. The old Rick and my old self that was ruled by sin died as well. And not only that, when Christ rose from the grave, it's like I rose with him too, spiritually speaking, so that I am a new person in Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Here's another way of thinking of justification. I've heard many say justification is just as if I've never sinned. You heard that before? But it's not just that. It's not only just as if I've never sinned, but it's also just as if I've lived the, the life that Christ did. You see that? So it's just as if I've never sinned, my sins are forgiven, they're pardoned, they're acquitted. But also when I believe in Christ, I get Jesus's perfect, beautiful righteousness in my life so that when God sees me, it's just as I've lived as Christ lived. Isn't that incredible? So it's just as if I've never sinned, and it's just as if I've lived the life Christ lived. That's what justification is all about. And this happens the moment that you and I believe in Jesus Christ. Did you notice that Paul repeats himself a lot in the verses I quoted, verses 15 and 16? I mean, if it, the apostle Peter needed this pounded into his head, don't we as well? Look back at verses 15 and 16. Paul says very clearly that we are not saved by the works of the law. He mentions it three times. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by what? You can say it. The works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by what? Works of the law. Because by what? The works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So are we justified or declared righteous by works of the law? And the answer is, no, no way, Jose. Keep going. He doesn't just mention that three times. He mentions faith in Jesus Christ. How many times? Three. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You got it? You know what's interesting? I think that the fact that Paul had to address Peter, an apostle, by the way, that Jesus said he would build his church on, by the way. Do you think he has to address us in this today too? I think the human heart, we are always slipping back into trying to justify ourselves before God by our works. That is the default mode of the human heart. And so today we're going to start to look at three ways, I'm only going to get to one way, three ways that justification by faith or the gospel impacts us. How JBF, justification by faith, impacts us. Let me go to number one. Way number one, if we really believe in justification by faith, it will change our identity and it will stop all our efforts of self-justification. I have to admit I cheated and put two and one, but they go together. It changes our identity and stops all our efforts of self-justification. So what I'm trying to get at here when it comes to justification, I believe that you and I and all human beings, we are on the massive search for identity. We are on a massive self-justification project all the time. If you are a human being, this is what you're doing all the time. If you know any other human beings, this is what they're doing. They are always searching for an identity. And do you know what an identity is? It is a sense of self and a sense of worth. We are always on the lookout for how we define ourselves, who we are, and we want it to be valuable. I related that to self-justification because we often try to do this, find our sense of self and our sense of worth by doing something, by achieving something, by proving something. It is self-justification. And the crazy thing about this is you can do this in a very religious way and also in a very non-religious way or secular way. So if you try to justify yourself and find your identity in a religious way, you might try to do a lot of good works to please God. You might try to volunteer a lot to justify yourself before God or give a lot of money or read your Bible a lot. And by the way, all those things can be very good. But the problem is the right thing done for the wrong motivation is still the wrong thing. It's just like a Pharisee. And it's really dangerous to try to justify yourself because Paul says, this does not save you. Such a justification never saves us. It's not good news. And not just that. If you try to justify yourself by your works, do you know what kind of person you're going to be? You're going to be an arrogant jerk. <laughs> I mean it. I will too. <laughs> because if you set this standard up that you have to please God and you think you're actually getting there, nobody on earth is going to be able to live with you. Because you're going to look at everybody else and say, why isn't that person volunteering as much as I am? Why isn't that person serving as much in VBS as I am? Or giving as much or doing this? If you think you're winning, you're going to be an arrogant jerk. But likewise, if you think you're losing in this justification game, you're going to be the exact opposite. You're going to be depressed 
and anxious. You never feel like you're doing enough to please God, like maybe God is always angry at you. That you're never at rest, you're, always, you're never at peace. And sometimes you can go back and forth depending on the day and depending on what you ate or didn't eat. You can be wildly inconsistent. So that's a religious way of justifying yourself. But there's also a very non-religious way, or you could call it a secular way to do this too. Even people who don't believe in God are on this massive identity quest and self-justification quest. Even those who identify as the nuns in religious polls would have to agree with this, I think. And they don't make God their standard. Instead of God being the thing they try to justify themselves with, they might make career their justification. And think, if I can just reach a certain standard in my career and rise and advance, then I will be at peace, and then I will achieve salvation as they define it. Or maybe money is the way they justify themselves. If I just have a certain amount of money, you know, if I get to that level, and then I will have arrived. I will have defined myself and found my identity, who I am and my sense of worth. Or it could be romance and sexuality. If I just find that Mr. or Miss Wright, then I'll be somebody. It could be acceptance. If I just have acceptance from my peers or a mentor or a boss or a coach, and then I will have arrived. I mean, whatever standard you're making, all of us are trying to justify ourselves. All of us are trying to find an identity. And so the question for you this morning is, what is your identity in? What is your, where do you look for for your sense of self-justification? And if you're not sure, you can always ask the person beside you that knows you well. I bet they know and listen. (laughs) But what is it? I mean, even if you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor Rick, that's not me. I don't try to do self-justification. Let me tell you why all of us are self-justifiers. Have you ever done something wrong or bad? What's your first instinct? If it, it, once you get found out for something you did, what is your first instinct? Was it my fault? I was tired. I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to blame someone else. Do you know what you're doing in that instant? You're justifying yourself. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Or how many ever go on social media? Boy, social media is a massive search for identity and self-justification. If you go on social media, you inevitably compare your life to someone else's. I've noticed this as a parent. You can be having the worst morning in the history of parenting. And you go on social media, you see another parent with little kids. They're organized. They're neat. They've served them a gluten-free meal. You know, they've gone to a museum. And it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. And I'm a failure, you know? (laughs) If you compare yourself to someone else, then you are a self-justifier. How many of you are competitive? Oh, you are a justifier. How many are sitting next to someone that's competitive? Mm. Competition isn't necessarily bad, but when you're competing, you want to be number one. You want to show the world, I'm going to prove this is who I am, and I am better than you, whatever it is. (laughs) If you do any of those things, then you struggle with self-justification. So the key question is this morning, what am I looking to for my identity? What am I looking to to justify myself, whether in a very religious way or a non-religious way? And if you're looking to anything else, hear me clearly, if you are looking for your justification in anything else other than Jesus, then you're going to have massive issues. Pastor Tim Keller, in his book, Encounters with Jesus, says this, If you find your identity in something else, first of all, it will enslave you. 
Whatever that thing is, you will tell yourself that you have to have it or there's no tomorrow. So if something threatens that thing, you're not just going to be scared. You're going to be incredibly anxious and lose sleep. If somebody blocks that thing, you're not just going to be angry, but you're going to blow your fuse. And if you fail to achieve it, you will never be able to forgive yourself. So first, if you seek your identity in anything else other than Christ and what he's done, it will enslave you. And also, number two, if you do achieve that thing, whatever it is, it will fail to give you the fulfillment you want. Tim Keller goes on to quote American writer David Foster Wallace. He has passed away, but he was a famous novelist. He was so famous, he once wrote a sentence over a thousand words long. You ever done that? No way. And this is what he said. He has a very famous commencement speech at Kenyon College. And he said this to the graduating class. He says, everybody worships. So he's calling that search for identity and self-justification. He's just calling it a different term, worship. That's what it is. Everybody worships. And the only choice in life we get is what we'll worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God, so he's not a believer, but for choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship in your life will eat you alive. If you worship money and stuff, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life and identity, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexuality, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age and wrinkles start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you in the ground. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll need more power to numb that feeling. Worship your brains and your intellect, you'll end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He goes on to say very insightfully is that we cannot help this. These are default settings of the human heart. So this guy, David Foster Wallace, was by no means a religious person. And remember when he said that whatever you worship will eat you alive? Well, eventually, sadly, two years after he gave that speech, he killed himself. And his words rang true. Because even though you might never call it worship, you can be absolutely sure you are worshiping and you are seeking something for your justification. You know, this past week I had the chance to meet with some pastors, kind of a support, almost like a therapy group for pastors. And one of our older seasoned gray-haired pastors, and he's earned every one of those, he asked some really challenging questions. He said, if our ministry were to leave, if, we were to, if I was to stop being a pastor, what would that do to me? And the reason he asked that is because he says, I've seen several people who, when ministry stops, when they stop being a pastor, it's like their identity. It's like they don't know who they are anymore. I found that very convicting. Because I'm not first a pastor. I am first a follower of Christ. <laughs> I found that challenging. For you, that thing, whatever you put your identity in, if it were to leave, what would it be? What would make you come crashing to the ground? Chances are, that's what you put your identity in, your self-justification in. And the only one who can justify you, the only way to stop this massive self-justification project is as verse 14 says, we have to put our life in line with the truth of the gospel. We have to make Jesus and the gospel our justification and our identity. Because remember, there's two parts of justification. It's just as if I've never sinned, my sins are wiped clean. And it's also just as if I've lived the life that Christ lived. So do you hear what that's saying? 
It's just as if my sins are erased and as if I've gained all of Christ's righteousness. You know, when I was in Lima and we were planting a church, I remember meeting a young man, a great street baller, very religious guy. And we talked about these sort of things. He loved talking about the Bible. And he said something like this, yes, I believe Jesus paid for my sins, they're forgiven, but now I must prove by my life that God did not waste his sacrifice. Now, I understand what he's saying at some level, but I think that's not understanding what justification is. Because he was saying that, yes, my sins are forgiven, but now I'm starting at morally neutral, at zero, and I must now earn my positive righteousness. But when you believe in Jesus, this is amazing, God not only wipes away the negative sins, but he gives you the positive righteousness of Christ. One theologian says it like this. It's as if, it's as if God, it's as if you were on death row and God took you off death row and then gave you the Congressional Medal of Honor. When you believe in him, that's what happens. So my question for you this morning is, do you actually believe that this morning? Do you believe that your justification is not secured by you, but by a greater one, Jesus Christ? If you actually believe this, then you'll agree with what Charles Wesley said in And Can It Be, that very famous hymn where he said, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose henceforth and followed thee. Boy, if you believe in justif justification by faith, that's your song. <laughs> Or you'll be like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, over 500 years ago, famously nailed 95 theses in Germany. Points of disagreement with the Roman Catholic Church. And it started the Protestant Reformation in 1517. And the reason he did this is because he discovered justification by faith anew in Romans and in Galatians. And here's what he said. See if you can relate. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet. Can you relate to that? Then you're starting to understand justification by faith. I've read a lot about Martin Luther. Pastor Sandy Wilson says this about Martin Luther some more. He says, Luther was elated because he had labored under the gospel of the Roman Catholic Church, which is a very different gospel and I mean no disrespect to Roman Catholics and Roman Catholic theology. I know there's a lot of great Roman Catholic people, but their doctrine can be scary. He says, Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that as the natural man begins to seek after God, God gives him grace to obey. And through obedience, listen carefully, we earn merit with God. To use a simplistic analogy, in Boy Scouts, you can earn merit badges. When you earn 21 merit badges, you become an Eagle Scout. Well, the Roman Catholic Church teaches we cannot earn this merit apart from grace and faith, which is true, but here's the problem. Our faith must be mixed with works of obedience to earn sufficient merit to enter paradise. That's the problem. Our justification comes at that point when we have accumulated enough works and merit to be released from purgatory and enter paradise. Sandy Wilson goes on to say, one can see how this traditional Roman view of salvation is both terrifying and nerve-wracking. And Luther had a very sensitive conscience. He was nearly driven insane as a monk, trying to confess and atone for all his sins. Luther had no assurance of his salvation. Do you remember Mother Teresa, famous Catholic nun who served the poor in India? 
great lady. But in her journals, it was discovered that she admitted she was unsure of her salvation. Mother Teresa. And this is often considered a godly perspective in Roman Catholic theology. For if you said you were assured, you'd be saying that your works are sufficient. But Martin Luther's insights changed everything with justification by faith. He came to see what Paul sets before us here, that we are justified by faith, not works alone. And through this faith, God gives us a righteousness given to us immediately. And it's complete. A righteousness that fully qualifies us to enter paradise right now. Do you believe that this morning? There's a famous preacher from Great Britain named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was both a medical doctor and a pastor. You know, kudos to him. That's impressive. <laughs> and he has a very practical saying that gets at this, what I'm trying to get across this morning. He says this, I have a very simple test for you to see if you understand justification by faith. After I have explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? So he would do this with people that were just accepting Christ, and he would also do this with longtime believers. He would say to you, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you ready to say that you're a Christian today? And if they hesitate, then I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian. And at once I know that I've been wasting my breath they are still thinking in terms of themselves, that they have to do it, that they have to achieve it. And it sounds very modest and humble to say I'm not good enough, but it's a very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that I'm not good enough, but he's good enough. And I am in Christ. We're united to Christ. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God, you are denying the gospel, you are denying the very essence of the faith and you will never be happy. So if I were to talk to you after the service, brother, sister, are you a Christian? What would you say? The answer, hopefully, is you can say, well, not by me, but by Christ. Hopefully, you can say what verse 20 says. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, is that your identity here this morning, church? If I were to ask you and you were to answer honestly, what are you putting your hope in, your justification in, your identity in this morning, what would you say? Could you confidently say, verse 20, that's my identity. You know, even if it's not that this morning, I have good news. You're here, first of all, and you're hearing this sermon, and you have the chance by the Holy Spirit to really examine your life and really put your finger on, by the Holy Spirit's help, what your identity is. And then you can confess it to God and say, God, I've been putting my justification in something else, my good works, money, whatever. You can confess it to him, and then you can place your faith once again on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be just a really sweet moment. Lord, I know none of us like admitting where we're wrong and where we need help, but man, we need help in this area. Lord, all of us are prone to wander from you. All of us are prone to seek our identity and justification in something else besides you. And all of us are prone to try to achieve it on our own. But Lord, you are crystal clear that we are not justified. We are not declared righteous in your sight by our efforts, but by yours, by what Jesus did. Lord, I pray that that would hit us 
in a mighty way today. I pray that we would confess our efforts of self-justification and may we rest and find true joy and happiness in what you've done, the finished work of Christ. Your son says it is finished. And Lord, I believe when we experience that, we're gonna have freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, if our people are not experiencing freedom, I pray that today would be the day they experience true freedom in Christ. Father, may you do it by your spirit. Lord, may there be breakthroughs this morning, we pray. And I pray that it wouldn't just happen today, but Monday when we go to work. Lord, every day of this week, may we find our justification in Christ alone. Father, we commit these things to you by your spirit. And all God's people said, amen.